Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to head coach at England Rugby, Eddie Jones, and head of strength and conditioning at England Rugby, John Clark. Thanks for tuning in to episode 300 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I put a lot, a lot of thought into who to get on for episode 300 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. And I watched a couple of videos of Eddie speaking at various different places, whether it be on TV, whether it be at conferences. And I thought, out of the blue, I wonder if he'd come on for episode 300. So thankfully, I had a really good relationship. I'll have a really good relationship with John Clark from uh, his days when he was at Warrington. So I text John, see if Eddie'd be involved, and thankfully he was he was up for coming on for an hour to give up his time all the way from Japan, uh, and also team up with John, who also featured on this episode. So I was absolutely delighted to get these, but both these guys on who complement each other really, really well, who obviously work together, and who and obviously that culminated in a World Cup final last year. So an incredibly uh, humbling experience to speak to Eddie and just tap into his knowledge from an educational point of view, his views on strength and conditioning, obviously his role at England Rugby in the technical side of things and how all that is pulled together. So in this episode, we discuss his background in teaching and how that's influenced his career uh, moving forwards what makes a good strength and conditioning coach and this is for anyone in strength and conditioning or sports science whether you're a newbie to the industry or you're a seasoned professional to get Eddie's take on what makes a good coach is uh, is absolute gold for me we also discuss tactical periodization because that's something that Eddie is really well known for in his in his approach to to training um, whether that be tactical physical or technical then we finish off with influences outside rugby. Where does he go, him and John, where do they both go for innovation? Where do they go to learn? Where do they go for influence? So that's a really, really interesting chat because I think it's become cool to look outside the industry, i.e. business, to get influence. But it's interesting how these guys go about actually integrating that within the setup at England Rugby. So. I'm going to get straight into it. Thank you for it very much for your support if you've listened to any of the previous 299 episodes. But hope you enjoy episode 300 as much as I did. So over to John Clark and Eddie Jones. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. 
So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Eddie Jones and John Clark. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this morning, I'm absolutely delighted for episode number 300 to welcome John Clark and Eddie Jones. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you, Thank you for coming on. I must admit, a little bit nervous about what's coming. The, the ginger comment to kick us off probably stands in good stead for, <laughs> for potentially what's going to come. But over the last 299 episodes, I've... Started off with asking the guests a little bit of background themselves. So maybe Eddie doesn't need um, too much of an introduction, but I think it'd be great to still get your your backgrounds, what you've done previously and what you're currently doing. So I'm going to come to you first, John. Do you want to kick us off? So what you've done before you were at England, uh, playing-wise, coaching-wise, and we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, I'll try and skip through 40 years as quick as I can, Rob. Uh, my, my sporting career started really early, actually. Um, I, I raced BMXs. Uh, back in the day, I was uh, I was born with a very bent leg, and uh, I was in rehab. I, I had plaster from hip to ankle, and uh, when I come out, the doctor, the surgeon, actually said buy my bike. So I started riding these bike, these BMXs, and then started racing. And then uh, a few, you know, after a year or so, really got into it, and um, yeah, ended up you know winning a few things of that, and and just really focusing. And that was my first sort of input to to, to training, but also into competition, really. And, and it's funny how things pan out, you know, we, looking back at that, we used to do these training sessions where we'd just stand on the starting gate but not move and just push as hard as you could into the pedal, which is like just an isometric grind, basically, if you know, if you look at uh, Alex and Terry's stuff and then the gate used to go and we used to fly off and then, you know, my dad used to uh, used to maybe ride around in the week you know, with a big high gear. So I was, I was doing strength training in the week and then we'd come to the, to the, to the meetings at the weekend, you'd drop the gears off and, and you'd fly. So my, my, my uh, intro to training and, and competition was very early. Uh, I retired at 10, started playing rugby, <laughs> uh, signed for Wigan at 14, uh, started on their, on their old apprenticeship scheme when I was 16, uh, did like a college and, and, and training. Uh, sort of combination. Uh, yeah, played for played for four years at Wigan, Captain Greater Academy. Um, yeah, got in a bit of trouble when I was at Wigan, which ended my Wigan career. Ended up going to London Broncos for eighteen months, and then come back to Warrington. Uh, played for ten years at Warrington. Uh, had a testimonial year, a couple of Challenge Cups. Managed to play for Great Britain in that time as well. Uh, that coincided with doing a university degree about two thousand and seven. Uh, did my sports science degree. Uh, then went to Witness, finished off there at Witness uh, for three years, went and captained them on the return to Super League, uh, did my master's degree as well there, and then went into S&C, 
uh, from Witness. I was very lucky. I had uh, Dennis Betts, the old Wigan legend. He was uh, he'd been one of uh, a player who, who I'd bumped into when I first started at Wigan. They ended up being my coach at, uh, at Witness, and um, he was keen for me to do the SNC there when I finished playing. So I, I got a bit of a, you know a lucky break. Really, I went from playing uh, straight into head SNC uh, Witness. Did that for a year. And then Warrington actually asked me to go back there straight away. I was meant to stay at Witness, but um, I had the offer to go back to Warrington. Uh, went to Warrington, did uh, a couple of years under Tony Smith, and then Steve Price come in. Uh, he made me head of performance there. Did 12 months, uh, just about to re-sign there, and then uh, I got the opportunity to go to England. Um, a friend of Eddie and mine, Andy Clark, sort of knew, knew me, obviously knew Eddie, and, and the sort of uh, tipped, uh, tipped us into the job. Um, yeah, and then obviously got the job 2018. And 2019 was the World Cup year, so an amazing time to start. Got the Autumn Internationals in, got Six Nations in, and then and, you know, obviously got the World Cup in, which was uh, one of the best experiences of my life. And you know, that sort of brings us to the present day, really. Cool. Over to you, Eddie. No BMX stories. Uh, <laughs> uh, played, uh, I love cricket. Uh, played rugby league uh, up until I was 15. We, I grew up in a big rugby league area, South Sydney. Um, then went to a, a school where rugby was the main sport, so I started playing rugby. Um, played both until I was about 22. Um, managed to play about eight first-grade games in cricket. Uh, but I wasn't that flash. Um, and then... Played rugby until I was 30, played good enough to play for New South Wales, not good enough to play for Australia. Um, and I was a PE teacher. Um, I loved I loved teaching, but the only reason I did PE because I thought it was the best way to train to, to, to play rugby. Um, and you didn't have to mark anything. Um, so I did PE teaching um, for about uh, 10 years, then became the deputy principal by chance. Uh, I think I was the last man standing and then became the acting principal for, for 18 months, which was a great experience. Um, and then they brought in a new principal and uh, I went to the chairman. It was one of the best discussions. He was an old bloke. He played for the AFL and he said, uh, he said what do you want to do? He said, if you want to continue in education, you need to do a master's in education. And I said, well, I was thinking of coaching. He said, well, I'd go and do coaching or I was you. So I think he was telling me I was better at being a coach than <laughs> I was a, a school administrator. So I went and coached uh, and then you know, I've been to Japan, uh, England, uh, coached around the world, be lucky enough to end up coaching England. Nice. It's, it's interesting. There's been quite a few guys that I've had on. Uh, one in particular comes to mind, a guy called Glenn Stewart, who's head of performance at... Uh, West Coast Eagles and he's been right. there and, and, and the, over a certain age the, the guys who are in them kind of positions have all been PE teachers or come through the education system what yeah. how did that set you up and what did that give you to then take into you know more present day Australia Japan England yeah I think uh, yeah teaching's like exactly like coaching you know you got a group you got to find a general framework to operate and then you've got to find out who's going to make the class good for you. And same in you know, coaching a team, who's going, to, who's going to make your team good, give them special attention, who's going to be naughty, give them special attention, and the rest in the middle look after themselves to a large extent. So I think learn, you know, 
how to manage a group and particularly when I started teaching, you know, I was a, I think they call them supply teacher here, so you go in every day and you'd always, the, the day you go in would be the, the time that teacher had all the rat bag class. <laughs> you know, so I was an expert at coaching year nine boys, you know, 15, 16 year olds where they don't want to learn. So, I, you know, I'd, I'd had the same class four or five times a day and, and it just taught me how to, how to manage a group and 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 how to try to get something out of them, um, and I think a lot, you know, a lot of the the my contemporaries in in rugby coaching, like Graham Henry and and Jake White, were all school teachers as well. Do you think, and this is maybe coming back to you in a second, John? Do you think the the current generation of coaches, and just the main audience for this podcast is like strength and conditioning coaches, like like the cell, like um, like John? Do you think that's potentially something? missing from these maybe younger generation who've come through that traditional or what we term traditional now the university system of degree masters they don't actually have the grasp of controlling the controlling the group like maybe you guys did coming through that teaching yeah i think you know and it's how life has become everyone's become a specialist um and and reality was like when we came through everyone was a generalist and then you then you moved into be you specialised in various areas, but you know increasingly as we go along, like you know, I, I saw this woman the other day. She had a foot operation on the foot, and I said, "Did you go to the right foot specialist or left foot specialist?" Because that's how that's how it's become, isn't it? You know, people are absolute specialists in certain areas, and I think the 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 most important thing for young coaches is to get as much experience as they can and and whilst you'll have specialist knowledge your job is to get as much experience as you can just coming to you john from your transition into from from playing to coaching was that something that you found relatively easily uh i think i think what he says bang on and I would class myself, I think, as a, as a generalist. I think you know, I've definitely not gone down a uh, part, you know, obviously S&C, but there's quite a general route in that. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think the more you you start off, don't you, with this wide wide vision of, of what you need and where you're going, and then, it, you know, it does narrow down a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I had some, you know, going back to, to what I said, I, I had some unbelievable coaches um, who, who, over the years, showed me exactly what he's talking about that how how to handle a group um how to how to communicate with with different people you know what one of my one of, you know my, my main mentor is paul stridger um who, who, known as bobby he's the, he's the wales head of performance ce coming to uh, to warrington to be my conditioner and, and that that was where my real interest in snc because i was watching this guy with great snc knowledge but his biggest strength was to how to control a group he, he was unbelievable the way he, he managed all different types of players' needs, thoughts, feelings, um, and, and that's what that's what good coaches do. Uh, and and the good, you know the the teaching bit, I, you know, from this lockdown, I've had th- I've had three kids. We've had three kids here, and and I think the teaching just teaches you so much how to adapt on the run, how you know how to control three different age groups, give them what they need, giving you know stopping what they shouldn't be doing. Um, so I think that the, the link between the teaching and coaching is huge, Rob. Mm-hmm. 
Just come, just come back to you, Eddie. Given the, given the audience, S and C coaches, sports scientists, okay. and uh, we'll see if we'll see if John agrees with this, given his current position. But what, what makes a good S and C coach, from your experience, and probably having multiple across the years, what, what characteristics, what qualities does a, a good strength and conditioning coach possess? I think they gotta, they gotta have knowledge. Yeah, you know, all of our jobs, you gotta have knowledge, but you also gotta have. Uh, uh, a curious mind. You got to want to. You got to want to learn, but you also got to want to do. Like, there's a lot of coaches out there that learn a lot now, but you got to be able to do. And the doing is applying the knowledge to your group of players, and and so that curiosity is just so important. You've got to have, as as JC said, you got to have management skills. You got to understand people, um, and you got to be a team player. Yeah, you've got to be a team player. More and more, I see sports, you know, we, we use a loose tactical periodization model where everything's based around the game. And therefore, our, in reality, our strength and conditioning coaches are assistant coaches. Um, and more and more, I think that's going to be the case, that the games are getting so intense. You, know, you just look at football at the moment, how much more intense it is, you know, so how much pressing there is, um, that the, the quality of your training has got to be so you, you're holistically preparing the player, so the emotional, the physical, the tactical, the social, the physiological, all of that together. And so S&C coaches have got to be an all-rounded coach um, and they've got to be good with the bad kids, mate. Like that's their test because the good guys always do well. It's how you get that bottom five, ten percent, how you get more out of them. Like that's the real key. When you when, when a new coach comes into your or potential new coach is is making their way into your into your setup, what are the key things that you look for in terms of their personality and characteristics that either get a or a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Yeah, probably the best example is the interview you had with JC. I can remember we, we had it out yeah, the back of the lounge. It was a, it's a nice sunny day. And I think it lasted maybe four, four minutes, 32 seconds precisely. <laughs> um, and the, the first reason I interviewed him, because he had a practical, he, he, he'd been coaching, but he'd also gone and, and done study, which shows that he's got... Uh, an interest in knowledge, then sat down with him and he and he seemed like a good bloke. I was wrong there, but uh, <laughs> you get some things wrong. Um, and I felt he was a good bloke and I knew he knew his stuff. So I think we, seriously, we had, it was the shortest interview I ever had. I knew he was the right bloke. Um, and JC probably went straight back to Warrington thinking, shit, that was a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned loose periodization model. What does that mean to you in practical terms because there's people band it around we use a tactical periodization model but that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people what does that what does that mean to you and your beliefs well i I think you know there's a couple of uh uh parts to it the first thing is i think is just from a coaching point of view having a real understanding of, of how you want to play the game this is the game and then all your coaching staff to understand that's the game and then secondly, how you break that game down to put it in the most cohesive week. And, and knowing that if you get that week cohesive enough, 
but you don't need to make great changes to that week, week from week. Like I always, the reason I went down the track was that uh, I always saw coaches say at the end of the week, they'd seem to get pumped, you know, and they'd say, oh, we had a great preparation. We, you didn't have a great preparation. But now I know with tactical periodization that we've got, we don't have it down set in stone, but we've got a pretty good idea of what we need to do. And if we get that preparation right, the team will play well. Now, it doesn't mean they always win because sometimes the opposition are better, but you give them the physical, you give them the, the psychological and you give them the tactical um, preparation to, to go into the game and, and play with a de- degree of cohesion, a degree of clarity, and, and that's what you've got to do. And and football, you know, again, you watch football and the, and the European sides particularly that play 60 games a year, how they can play with such consistency reflects, I think, the, the value of tactical periodisation. Just coming back to you, John, Eddie mentioned about the, the S&C coach being the been an assistant coach. How's that been for you in terms of that transition? Has there been a, much of a transition, a change of mentality of what is expected in the England setup versus where you've been previous? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's probably been my development as an SNC coach since since joining uh, England, even more so because I had the rugby background. I've I've always you know, had that blend of, of coaching and SNC, if you want to split it up like that. So I have done, you know, always done the wrestle type, you know, with uh, exercises within the rugby league. But the, the, the model that we use, yeah, as Eddie Wright says, you know, you're, you're almost an assistant coach because when you're designing your, your SNC programs, you're not designing them to, to run, just to run quick with no ball or, you know, to, to move well. You, you're designing them to get the, the lads to move better on the pitch in the game, um, and that sounds pretty obvious. But uh, as S and C coaches, it doesn't happen a lot. You know, we're, we're chasing flying tens, and we're chasing acceleration times, and we're changing, uh, ch- chasing change of direction ability and, and strength scores and, and power scores. We, you know, we want this. And don't get me wrong; they're all, you know, they are they are important. But it's it's working out how does that feed into the bigger picture. And, and the big, oh, well, the only picture really, and the pit that is, how does the team play, and how can we feed into making that team play better? Um, and and you know, you know, what as an S and C coach, that that is the one thing I I feel has helped me develop uh, massively over the last eighteen months. Yes, you've got to learn, um, but it's that uh, application of your of your knowledge um, and how that and how that feeds into the program. Uh, and uh, I just mentioned that interview then I'll, I'll tell you a story the, the interview finished after say whatever it was and I was I was in reception at Lensbury and I actually rang my missus and it was, it was 10 past 7 and she knew I was on at 7 o'clock she went shit what's happened <laughs> I, said, I said well I said I've either got it or it's the worst interview I've ever done <laughs> and she said alright let's see and luckily it was uh, luckily we got it but now it's uh, no so yeah SSC coaching, I think, and 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 that is right. It, that this is where I think SNC coach is going. You know, you're becoming an assistant to whatever your sport is, and you're working out not just what gyms, you know, the best gym scores is. You're working out exercises, um, you know, the way you do stuff to how you feed into that to that um, game model that you've got better. So, how important is it then for someone using England as a obvious example for someone coming in with a non-rugby background? How important is that for them to obviously quickly get up to speed with 
demands of the game so they can do all the things that you've both said? Uh, well, well, huge because, uh, you know, you've got to understand the game, haven't you? And that doesn't mean you, you need to be an extra player or, you know, that, but, but you, you've got to understand what the, the demands of the game are and what you're, what you're preparing these players to do tactically, technically, physically, psychologically. What do they have to go through? And the, the, the crux of rugby is, whether it's rugby league or rugby union, it's the toughest game in the world. And, you know, that, that makes preparation of players um, exciting but you know in some ways you know very difficult as well and um, and then you add them 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 uh, them challenging players in there as well and and that's what that's what you know that that's a litmus test for an SNC coach for a rugby coach is how you get them them challenging players uh, to one perform in the gym and prep right and, and then they go out on the field and, and perform right as well just going back to you Eddie with this tactical periodization, the, the emphasis on the on the sport rather than the, the silo of I'm a strength and conditioning coach, just touching on that very similar question to, to John, does that mean that people in rugby kind of stay in rugby and people in football stay in football? Because that, that knowledge of one game is maybe difficult to transfer to another given the, the needs for the technical knowledge? I think in essence it's more transferable. I think if you've got a good feel of of the game and what I mean a good feel of the game, you can see what the what you need what equipment you need to play the game well. I think in SNC coaches and I think the history shows they're able to move across sports. Uh, for coaches I think it's impossible, mate. Yeah, you know, you're kidding yourself. Um, because I watch a game of football and I, I think I I might know something, but I, I know bugger all. Um, because unless you've played the game, you haven't got a feel for the game. Yeah, even I watch rugby league, I'm watching every NRL game, I'm watching every NRL show at the moment. I don't I don't really know. Like I've got a few views, but unless you've really been in the game, you can't catch it. Mm. Yeah, because if it was that easy, everyone would do it, wouldn't they? Gosh. And they don't. And they Gosh. don't. So your exp- so just on the keep going on the tactical periodization stuff and and John's changing mindset to always bringing it back to being specific to the game. What are your expectations of of him and what I suppose what drills look like and how involved do you get or yeah how involved do you get in what they do and ask the question how is this actually gonna we're spending half an hour on this how does it actually transfer to what we're going to get on a Saturday? Uh, yeah, no, um, they probably wish I wasn't involved as I am. Uh, <laughs> no, I like to know, mate. That's, yeah, I'm 60. It's still the fun part of the week, the training, and you've got to get that right. Like, training's where you make a difference to your team. And so the quality of your training is just so important you get it right. And it's from a, again, tactical, psychological, physical point of view, they've all got to work together to create create the right game or drill a training, create the right training session. Because, you know, one of the most interesting things I've always found coaching is that on a Monday night, you can almost predict how your team's going to do on Saturday. Yeah, because Monday generally, for, you know, if you played Saturday or you played Sunday, Monday's your recovery day where you're doing a little bit, you know, to get them, get them back into it. And if they f- finish that day feeling good about themselves, uh, you got the soreness out of them, they're excited about the week ahead, then you've got a really good chance of having good good preparation. So that 
the way you put together that Monday is so important. And then the other, the other big thing that I think's changed in preparation, and I think it's probably for most sports that are, that are physically uh, taxing, that you can only ever have one hot session a week where you really go hard, that you can't expect players to get up for two sessions. Um, and that's, I think, one thing we've done reasonably well with England. We've, our whole week builds up to Wednesday, and the players know on the Wednesday. We, we can train quite hard on a Wednesday, even for a test week. But they'll come off the field, even though they're, they're tired, you'll hear them laugh, they'll have some fun, and you know they've enjoyed the hardness of the session, but the session's also appropriate to them getting prepared for the game. No, it doesn't always happen like that. Um, but that's how you want it to be. If you don't see what you want to see on the Monday evening, does that change your plan? How do you manipulate things? Or do you manipulate yeah. things? You might have to give them a bit more of a spark on the Tuesday. Change. You might have to take a bit of volume out or you might have to put a bit of volume in. You might have to do a few fun activities uh, if the, the ambience of the group wasn't right. So, you, you know, and all the coaching books say, always reflect, evaluate, and you've got to consistently do that. So have a plan, have a really good, concise plan for the week, but continually reflect and evaluate and adapt adapt the plan to what the players need because ultimately it's always what the players need you know all, all the guys listening to this we're all servants to the players our job is to get the players right um and we can think what's right but what's really right is what's right for them but you got to also understand sometimes the players don't know what's right for them and that's why we have coaches so that's a bit of a contradiction yeah yeah <laughs> Just coming back to you, John, on that, and we were talking about this. I, I did a podcast a few days ago with, with three, uh, well, two current players and one ex-player, and we were talking about the exact same thing that it is involving the players. Do you think sometimes we lose that because we think we know best as coaches that this is what the guys need rather than actually involving them in the process? Um, it's, it's, it's a delicate balance sometimes, isn't it? I think uh, of getting... Of, of of allowing players some input because they've got you know they've got some great ideas you know and a lot of players you know you you're dealing a lot of the times with with real seasoned professionals who've been around you know they've done loads of pre seasons they know how to recover they know how to train so you know to to not listen to them and to not give them a voice uh, can some sometimes be disastrous so um, and and I think that's the skill of coaching. It is working out, you know, one of the skills of coach is working out which players, you know, you give a little bit more to and which players you give a little bit more instruction to. You know, um, do, do you listen a little bit more here and, and maybe just guide a little bit more there? So, uh, but I, I do think that the new generation of, of player as well, they, they, they want to, you know, they want to be heard a little bit more as well. So, and, and they want to have a little bit more input and, <clears throat> that's one thing we, we try and do. We try and drive them to, to you know, I think Tony Holler calls it, you know, look after your own house, doesn't he? You know, the American speed coach, you know, he's... And, and ultimately, as a coach, I think, you know, that that's that's what you want to do, isn't it? You're trying to equip players, um, whether it's rugby or SNC, to try and look after their own house as much as they can. So, um, yeah, a, a, a delicate balance, I think, Rob. On a, on a very practical level, how do you actually give them the voice give the right people the voice at the right time. I know I've been in environments where you've had like a lead, like various leadership groups um, led by a certain, maybe the, the older players, the more experienced players, and they're involved in the decision-making 
for the, whether it be the preparation or whatever. Is that something you guys do? I'm just thinking how how can people listen to this and, and you know sit, hear how you do it on a day to day, week to week, month to month basis. Yeah, <clears throat> there's loads of ways, Rob. There's loads of ways. You know, from warm ups. You know, you um, you know, you know, Dan Fipto, he, he calls it free time, doesn't he? He has 15 minutes of free time, and we do something similar where there's a period of time where the players are, you know, challenged to to get themselves ready to either start a bit more of an intensive warm up or go into a session. So, the, the, you know, rather than being so uh, having such a dictatorship where that's that part of the warm up, that's that part, that's that part. You know, you can you can guide players and, and mould players over time to actually take a little bit more. Um, consideration over how of their individual preps. So that's certainly one way. In the gym, you know, create choice, create choice around. You know, eat, eat exercise selectors to some degree. Lower body, I don't. I, you know, we don't. You know, we don't move too much. But you know, there's certain areas of the gym where you can create choice around exercises and allow them to 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 pick really. Because you know, and the psychology of that is if they're picking and they want to do it, there's a good chance they're gonna go harder at doing it than, you know, if you're saying, nah, nah, we're doing this. So there's loads of there's loads of different ways um, that you can basically create choice of players in w- within a framework that you that you know works. What's your thoughts on that, Eddie? Any past experiences that have done particularly well or not particularly well? Yeah, well I think you can either do it formally or informally. You can have a leadership group, um, but you've got to make sure that leadership group's reflective of the, the team. Um, and you can use that as a formal way of getting feedback and involving the players in the plan. But I think there's, there's one thing that's really important, that whenever you're consulting the players, you've got to, you've got to get the players to understand, like, some of these things are non-negotiable. You know, so there's a certain level of training we have to have to prepare to the game because, you know, why does Roger Federer at 40 still have a tennis coach when he's the best player, probably one of the best players we've ever seen, best athlete we've seen in maybe? Yeah, because the coach makes him do things he doesn't he doesn't want to do. Um, and so you've got you to gotta set your stall. These things are non-negotiable. We're not talking about that. So, yeah, I always say to our leadership, we're not going to talk about how hard we're training. Uh, but we can talk about when we're training. We can talk about the content of the training. I'm happy for you to give feedback on that. Um, and you've just got to give them a voice. And, you know, again, you can do that formally or you can do it informally. You know, walk the floor in the gym, walk through, talk to the talk to the players, get feedback from the players. Is this right for you? If not, what do you think you should be doing? And you can cons- constantly be doing that so that, that in if you've got thirty five players in your squad, that in that week you've had a you've had a one on one meeting with that player, and it might be only two minutes, but the players will remember that meeting, that you've asked for their feedback, and that'll make them feel better, and they also and they'll also understand that you care about them. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with John and Eddie. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss uh, a lot more around tactical periodization and how it's influenced Eddie and John's practice. And then we finish off with where Eddie and John go for influence. Where do they go outside the industry to better themselves at England rugby? But more importantly, how do they actually integrate that within the sit back within the system when they get back to base? So really interesting end to this episode with Eddie and John. 
But very quickly before we do get into part two with Eddie, I'm really proud to bring Pace Performance Premium. So Pace Performance Premium is a two-tiered service which gives easier access to the information that you want and more access to world-leading experts. So if you're interested in knowing a bit, little bit more, be more on social media, but head over to patreon.com forward slash Pacey Performance and you can find out more about Pacey Performance Premium there. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by athletemonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So athletemonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organizations and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing, and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, athletemonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what athletemonitoring.com can do for you, visit athletemonitoring.com and schedule a free demo, or follow them on Twitter at athletemonitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position, and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website omegawave.com or visit their social media channels. So apart from the intensity of training, is there any other non-negotiables for you? Uh, that they give 100%, mate. Yep. They give 100%. Doesn't matter how they are, they front up, give 100%. So as long as they're doing that, uh, we're happy. As long as we win on the weekend, we're happy. <laughs> just, going, just going back to you, John, you mentioned not, I don't know what phrase you use, but not pushing too much weight on lower body stuff. Talk to us about that. Uh, yeah, no, not, not, uh, not deviating a little bit from uh, sort of, yeah, you know, we, we, I think pre-World Cup, we, we had a real good look at sort of mm. squats and trap bar deadlifting. And again, you know, what, what was the transfer? That that we that that was what we were saying, and I, I know you can't sort of analyze it directly, but um, you know that was one of the, the 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 main things that we were searching for. You know, we got we were lucky, went over and spent some time with uh, Chris Corfis pre World Cup, and you know we we did some RPR stuff on that, and then started looking at uh, bits and bobs with him and uh, Cal Cal Deast obviously been a big big influence to us, and you know that that. That positioning of a lower body exercise where it's hand, hand support, split squat, bull game, but just positioning positioning that to to load uh, 
positions more specifically to what the game is, you know. So squatting a trap bar and you, you yeah, potential scrum, but you, you'd, you'd question how much transfer that has got to when you go out on the field. So we just started looking at exercises that's going to give us more transfer and you still get the load. Boys are still strong, um, but you develop a, a, a strength and a, and a power in a, in a much more specific position, body angle, if you want to call it that. So that that's what I mean. That, that said, some boys still want to, you know, some boys still want, you know, I need to squat, which is fine. And again, that's that skill, isn't it, of what you're listening or, you know, you, are you instructing or you're going, well, that's fine for you. So, um, yeah, there's a little bit of leeway there, mate, but not too much. I know you've obviously got an incredible knowledge of the game, but how much is that influenced by the, the beliefs of the technical staff? If, you, if, they, if them beliefs change, would that potentially change how you go about things in the, in the way you've just mentioned? Uh, yeah, potentially. But, you know, if you look, if you look at rugby, you know, and, and if you look at acceleration, going into contact, going out of contact, the, you know, positions are, you know, you, you can replicate that pretty well in, in the gym. So, um, and, and that's what I mean by, you know, specificity of, of exercises. You can replicate them. All the other little bits of technical, technical stuff, it's not... You know that that wouldn't impact it too much, but it's that it's the big bang bang for your buck exercises. You know, because the other bit is you know you're up against time, aren't you? As an S and C, you don't get much time with the with the model that we use. You know, you, you we we use time strict time frames that that we give. So it's about understanding and working out the the biggest bang for buck exercises um, programs that are going to give you everything you need in a short frame time frame. Um, to to feed back into that, that that game model that we need best. Just going back to you, Eddie. John mentioned about some of the um, the influence influences that he's had from guys in the states and whatnot. I know you're pretty public in the in, in looking at different environments for for influence and for for knowledge and experience. Is there anything any area in particular that you are currently focusing on to? in looking at different environments, then bring the knowledge and experience from them different environments across to, across to England? Uh, we've been looking a bit at uh, how we debrief training at the moment. Uh, okay. we, we just uh, did a, a five-week uh, program with uh, uh, Nikki Lofthouse, who's something in RAF. Do you know what she does there, JC? I hope she's not listening to this. Uh, I, know she, I, know she, yeah, I know she works with the But <laughs> no, it was all about leadership. She was fantastic. And it's just about the fact of at the end of training, can we reinforce the learning of the training better than having a meeting later down the track? Um, so we've been playing around with that a little bit. And, again, you can learn from, from, a, from a number of different areas. I've been having a lot of meetings with the uh, English uh, men's hockey coach about their design of training, whether we can learn a bit more about the design of training. Because, you know, as I said before, I think the, the, real, the real issue of, of coaches is how do you get training as specific and, as, and make it as adaptive for the players as you can. So when they go on the field, they're equipped to play the game. Doesn't matter whether it's played at, at uh, 100 metres per second or it's played at 80 metres per second, the ball is played for 50 minutes or for 30 minutes. They're equipped to play that game. 
in the in the experiences you've had outside rugby, how hard has it been to integrate, like you mentioned, the RAF or other environments into yours? And what's the process you go through to ensure that that happens as you know as as smoothly and clearly as possible? Uh, we're just always looking for people that are smarter than you. So in my yeah. case, it's not real hard, mate. Um, <laughs> so you're just always looking for people who've got good ideas. Every idea is good. Um, but then you've got to you've got to work out right. Is that going to give us, as the term that JC use, a bang for our buck? You know, is that really going to make us win, or is it just something nice? And sometimes you need some gimmicks in your in your program. You know, gimmicks every now and then are good because they're fun. Um, but as long as you think that's not going to be the the the, the thing that's going to make you be perceptibly better. Yeah, the things that make you perceptively better are hard work, discipline, specificity, overload. Yeah, they're they're the constants that you've got to make sure you've got that in your program. If you can find some way of making that difference but the same, then it's great motivationally for the players. And then then you've got your little bit of add-ons that you can always put in your program. So just just dive into the debrief stuff. Was that something that you identified because you thought you could get more out of that area? Or was that something that, that was that something that, that kind of found you? Yeah, no, we uh, we looked at that purposely uh, to see if we could we could reinforce learning better um, because the game, our game, is continually getting more decision making in it, and the players are going to have to make more decisions by themselves. So we wanted to to create situations where you can reinforce that learning they've had at training. Just going back to you, John, you mentioned Cal and Chris Chris Coffin. Is there anyone else yeah. out there that you've um, tapped into? And have them influences or influencers changed given the current st- structure at England? Uh, I, I think, as Eddie said, you're always looking at it, uh, particularly as an SNC, and, and, and the, the luxury of the SNC now is there's so much information out there, isn't there? Um, but I, again, I think the skill now actually is to have a is have a, is to have a fantastic siphon, isn't it? You know, you heard the phrase the other day, massive exclusion. It's about work, working out what you need, um, not sort of getting everything. You know, it's it's uh, it's certainly working out. So I think. One, you know, we've got the luxury that we you know we work with an, an international side, so you know we can we can go to the to the best people um, in particular areas and talk to them about that. Uh, you know, so I think that would be my advice: work out what the demands of your of your of your game is, and then look at you know the the, the top people in their areas. Eddie said that the people who are clever in you in that particular area, uh, and, and go and speak to them. I think that's one thing the lock the lockdown's done, isn't it? It's highlighted how accessible a lot of people are. You know, you you can you know if you if you've got the the nows to get on the email or get on the phone or social media has brought everyone closer together. You can really you can really find out some great information with not too much difficulty. So, um, yeah. In answer to your question, mate, yeah, we we look everywhere. We look everywhere for little bits that you can feed into your program um, that are, that are going to make it make it better. But I say the the skill of that is because the the volume of information is so large is actually to siphon it down into into those little bits that you need. When I spoke to Aaron Coops, it was developing the bullshit bullshit filter 
And I suppose that's well, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. I suppose that, like you say, that's more relevant than ever with how accessible people are, how accessible information is. But um, yeah, that's what that's a big thing for people. Um, how have you developed that, Eddie? The bullshit filter. Uh, well, I think bullshit's got a track record, um, <laughs> and you always look at the track record. You know who's who's involved with it, who's pushing it, um, what's the evidence like? Yeah, the great thing we've got is is evidence. Um, so we've got there's plenty of opinions, but evidence. So if you can you look at the evidence, sort through it. Is there a justification to use that? And sometimes you might just experiment with it for a short period of time, find out yourself. Yeah, I think that's always an option. Don't be afraid to fail, depending on what where you are in your competition phase, obviously. You know, if you've got a long pre-season and you can afford to play around with a few things at the start of the pre-season and not quite get it right, but if you're on a tighter program like us, we've got less scope to, to experiment with, with things that are a little bit more risky um, and, and keep debating it, you know. Uh, we had a great meeting yesterday where the coaches were really strongly debating certain issues. And if you haven't got that in your program, then that's the first thing you've got to get. Worry, don't worry about all the other bullshit. Get robust conversation in your, in your coaching group. Because then if someone brings an idea, then you want other people to be saying, but what about this? What about that? Have you thought about this? You know, whereas if they say, oh, that's a great idea, then, then there's no then you don't have a filter within your organisation. So it's important not only to have a personal filter, but an organisational filter. Just going back to that tactical periodization discussion, when you were thinking about the benefits of tactical periodization, what was the – because I'm, I'm just guessing that people will be out there, coaches will be – um, just in my environment in football, be seeing tactical periodization being banded about and be thinking about changing their philosophy of how they go about things. What what was that transition like for you? And where did you go for, I suppose, validation that what you were thinking was the right way? Uh, well, really didn't know, mate, to okay. be honest. Um, I went and saw a couple of people. Um, and it had been used by a couple of very good coaches. And, you know, if you know good coaches are using it in their own way and they've been successful, then there's something to it. So that gave it some, some validity. Like um, I went and met a guy in Qatar that had used it with Jose Mourinho. So, you know, he'd won a few cups. So it can't be too bad. Um, and then you fit it to your program and see how it works. Now, the tactical periodization we use with Japan is considerably different from what we're using with England now. And and even over the four four years I've been in, with England, we've changed it considerably. So it's consistently evolving, consistently adapting. Because, again, what do your players need? Can you give us any info on how that may have changed? Like, even maybe not up to the recent day, but from Japan to the transition to England? Any Yeah, well, just, just, just with England, we used to do two tough sessions a week, Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, which Japan we did the same and we've morphed over the last three seasons I think to just the one one hot session on a Wednesday um, so that's a considerable change because uh, we felt that the players emotionally struggled to get up twice a week for, for tough sessions and we were better off focusing on one tough session a week cool 
I know we haven't got tons of time, Eddie, and I'm going to, uh, I won't keep you for too much longer, but I'll come back to you in yeah. a sec. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to John yeah. first. The, the next, not the next big thing, but the biggest thing that could potentially influence what you do and how you do it, where do you think that's, where do you think that's going to come from? Oof. Good question, that, Rob. Um... Even what area, maybe not specific people or environments, but what specific area do you think there's a there's a gap that you would potentially want to fill given an ideal situation? I think the problem with S&C is everything's already has been done, hasn't it? You know, it's been done for thousands of years. So um, uh, I don't think it's anything in spe- you know specific. You know, I couldn't name something specific really, but I think from an from an S&C point of view. The, the biggest thing that we, and it's been mentioned quite quite a lot, the biggest thing that we are doing is how can we make our training more specific and more valid to what, you know, what the game's given us. So um, whether that evolves into something, um, you know, huge and, and, and we come across a golden nugget, I don't know. But that that is, that takes up a lot, a lot of my sort of thinking and, and thought process and and all the things that feed into that and, and there's loads of things you know i'm interested in i, I love the you know the breathing and the recovery and, and how the breathing can in fact impact performance that's a real interest but um it, it's always back to how do we get this the the, the, the team to play better so I, I couldn't give you one one area rob if i'm honest um because i think as i said most of it's been done and we're just you know we're pulling bits from here there and everywhere around me and we're developing it um, to 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 make it to make it better, but I think I think what Eddie said there is right from an S C point of view as well. Is you should question you should question everything and try and try as much as you can because um, I, I listened to uh, to Alex Natera's uh, podcast the other day. Um, you know, and, and that's pretty much how he stumbled across it, isn't he? He was doing things and he was just trying it and testing it and that in himself, and and he's, he's he's come across you know what he would probably class as his golden nugget, you know, in the ISO. So and, and how he's put that together. So I think from an S and C point of view, is definitely try stuff, test things out for yourself, and you and you might come across this golden nugget that you, you that you're speaking about. When you mentioned specificity, I think people have the probably the image in the mind of I don't know a weighted golf club or. A, a weighted rugby ball that's definitely not what we're talking about is it it's just i think it's the like a just semantics but i think people do have that negative connotation when it comes to specificity yeah I th- I, they do and, and that doesn't mean we don't do any you know, any general strength work or speed work again but again it, it goes back to how, how tight's your time frame or how much time frame have you got and that'll depend on what you can do uh and then the reality is, is that our time frames are usually quite tight so you know, every, everything we do has to be specific and has to feed into that. So, um, you know, it's probably only once every four years where we get that time frame where we can generalise a little bit more, um, you know, and, and do those general type of S&C exercises, you know, or, or protocols a little bit more. But it always comes back to feeding into that to that specific model and, uh, and, and how you get your team to, to, to move better, to, to play the game better. Mm-hmm. Just coming back to you, Eddie, for the, for the final time. Yeah. Pretty a bad question that went to that went to went to John a minute ago. But any any specific areas that you're looking at? I know you mentioned the debriefs as a, as a potential gap that could be that could be improved. Anything else that you're looking at in terms of areas that you're looking to improve and maybe plug a gap? Uh, I I think the thing we still catch badly in in rugby is small space agility. 
and our ability to go from a high position to a low position. And it's one of the most difficult things to coach, but I think uh, teams will make improvements in that area because the game game's demanding it more and more. We've got bigger guys, same space. So ability to move, big guys to move quickly in small space um, and make that, as JC said, make that as specific to the game. I think that'll be an area that continually evolves over the next period of time. But I think just for coaches, you know, how you can be a great reflector, how you can understand where you are as a coach, what you need to do to improve them and how you're going to do that. And, and that takes a bit of professional courage. So, you know, I think that's something we're all grappling with all the time. Yeah, we had um, Roy Hodgson came and had dinner with us in the Six Nations. Uh, and his first statement, I think, was uh, JC, was he said, uh, he said, the more I coach, the more I understand. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. Yeah. We don't yeah. know. Yeah, but yeah. you gotta you got to keep having a go and, and try to find out what's right. And then if it's not right, put it down, pick up a new set of clubs and, and see what you can find what is right. Any of the words of wisdom you've picked up along the way from, from people like Roy that's kind of changed your opinion on certain things or just sparked a little bit of, of thought? Uh, well, the, the, the one I've picked up over the last period of time, that's just reinforcement. Uh, great hockey coach in Australia, Rick Charlesworth, and he's written a book called The Coach. It's worth a read. It's a great read. And he his statement was that things on the field haven't changed the last 50 years. The standard you set has got to has got to stay the same. Now, how you get there is a bit different because you can't just yell and scream and tell them to do it. You've got to guide them a bit more. So what's significantly changed for coaches is the way you behave off the field. Yeah, you're much more now of a, a mentor, a guider, help the players discover, give them more of a say. Um, and I think that's, that's a really good way of summarising where a coach needs to be at the moment. Cool. I'll come back to you, JC, in a minute. But I just want to ask Eddie, um, young coaches or even current coaches, experienced coaches, what would be the, and it may just be a, um, a combination of all the things you chatted about over the last 50 minutes, but what would be your biggest bit of advice for them currently? Strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists, technical coaches, whatever it may be. Right, so this is, don't forget this because this will be the most important thing you ever hear. Um, and I know nothing, so, but it's just, um, Never think you're a good coach. Always think you're moving towards that elusive target of being a good coach because you never get there. You never get there. But always strive to be a good coach and love your job. Whatever job you got, love, because if you're doing well in the job you're doing at the moment, you'll get the next job. You don't have to worry about the next job. And young coaches are always saying, what have I got to do to get to go up to the next level? Do your job well. Because people remember people who do their job well. Do your job well. Cool. Over to you, John. Yeah, very similar. I think, I think in terms of doing your job well, uh, one thing I, I, I always try and do is how, how do I need to prepare myself 
to to do my job well, you know, because we we are always about preparing players, aren't we? Or you know, mm. to play the game, to do S and C. But a, a lot of the time, um, you know, because you do long hours and you 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 lose the focus of actually how you prepare yourself. And I think that's massive, um, you know, particularly if you're in very intense camps and stuff like that. It's easy just to get in that bomb out, you know, play. And the players have got to be the number one focus, but. For them to be the number one focus, yourself has got to be, be good as well. So it's about working out what you need on a daily, hourly uh, basis to make sure that you're performing well. And then I think that ties into to what Eddie said. You've got to love your job. Like I, I absolutely love love what I do. I, I feel so privileged to be able to, to be involved with, with rugby, but all you know, S and C. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it makes it makes it much easier when you when you're loving what you do, Rob. I know I said a promise to you last question, Eddie, but this is definitely going to be the last question. Just based on what John said, as a the the captain of the ship moving things forward, how do you ensure that people like JC are given the empowerment to be able to look after themselves in a such a stressful, time-consuming, all-consuming environment? Uh, I have a cattle prod ready, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um... I think it's it's always gets down to communication. Um, you know, consistently try to try to work out where the staff member is. Um, what do they need now to to get them to to the next level? Because we're lucky. We we and I'm sure all your listeners are the same. They're coaches that want to achieve, so everyone wants to get better. But sometimes. It might be you that that's blocking your obstacle to get better, and sometimes you've got to find a way to free that obstacle up for them. Cool. I'm definitely going to let you go now. But thank you both for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, special thanks, JC, for, for lining it up. And uh, I'll chat to you both soon. Thank you very much. Good on you, mate. Thanks, thanks JC. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks, Ginge. Thanks, Thank you for joining me for episode 300 of the Pasty Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with John and Eddie. So whether this is your first Pasty Performance Podcast or your 300th Pasty Performance Podcast, thank you for coming along with the journey. I did not expect to get to episode 30, never mind episode 300. So thank you for your continued support. I'm delighted to announce the release of Pasty Performance Premium. So Pace Performance Premium is a two-tiered service to give you easier access to the information that you want and also greater access to world-leading experts in all different areas of strength and conditioning and sports science. So if you want to know more, head over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Pacey Performance for more information. So like I said, thank you very much for your support. Thank you very much to all the sponsors' support over the last six and a half years, and I will chat to you next week.